I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this week, we are going to be talking about our favorite literary faves. So if you guys came to the pop-up, which is in Our Future But Your Past, which is very confusing. Shut the fuck up, truck. Yeah, listen, we're recording in a different room today because it is over 100 degrees outside and our closet recording space was just way too hot. Way too hot, guys. We would not have been happy podcasters. No, and, you know, we just can't give you the info if we're sweating our asses off. No, it just doesn't work, especially while I'm drinking. Like, it's just going to make... Although we're having very refreshing grapefruit mimosas right now. Amazing. So it works out. But if you came to the pop-up event... First of all, hi, and thank you for coming. Secondly, we are going to be doing a longer version of what we did at that pop-up event. So we are doing... This is like our dress rehearsal. Yeah, it's kind of like our dress rehearsal. And also, we were kind of doing dry runs of trying to get all this information in for both of us in half an hour, and it just wasn't working. We need like twice that much time. So we decided, why not do a longer version? And then we can tell people to just listen to the longer version. Exactly. They want more information. Exactly. So, who goes first, do you think? You go first. Oh, is it my turn? remember I was like, suck it, Keegan, because I got oh, to go first. Oh, that's right. That is right. I remember You were very mean, mean to me. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I always, like, when I'm mean, it's one of those things that, like, sticks with me. <laughs> okay, well, I will go first. Hold on, let me pull up my notes. Okay. So, the person that I chose, the literary character slash book that I chose is one that is, to this day... One of my favorite books of all time and had a tremendous impact on me. I think whenever I was growing up, I read so much like 
18th century, 19th century literature mm-hmm. whenever I was growing up. And this book came out in the mid-19th century, and I was obsessed with it. Um, I'm going to be talking about Jane Eyre. I've never read Jane Eyre. I've never seen any of the movies. I know that Kira Knightley played her, I think. Am I thinking No, of the right you're person? thinking of the wrong movie. That's Pride and Prejudice. Never mind. <laughs> I know I've never read Pride and Prejudice either. I am a really bad book nerd because I haven't read any of like, No, the everyone has I don't think I don't believe in this kind of like literary like snobbery when it's like if you haven't read these classics then you're not an actual book nerd because everyone has different preferences when it comes to what they like and don't like to read, you know? Well, and for me, when I started reading a lot, I was, like, stealing my mom's books, which is how I got into, like, loving crime novels, Mm -hmm. romance, tragedies, that kind of thing. Right. So, for me, it was just because it was whatever was on my mom's nightstand I would start reading. I had an unhealthy obsession with, like... Victorian era England and I think that that's why I read a lot of these books yeah and I also think I was really gravitated I really gravitated towards the Bronte sisters so there's Charlotte Bronte who wrote Jane Eyre and then there is um, Emily Bronte who wrote one of my other favorite books which is Wuthering Heights and I was very attracted to sorry if you heard that that was my cat jumping on the table subtle um I was very attracted to the Bronte sisters because there was also like a darkness about Mm -hmm. these novels. I love Jane Austen, but Jane Austen was very like light, almost like kind of like light and airy and and fun. And give me the dark and gritty and depressing shit. Okay, yeah, because because Jane Eyre is depressing. It's good. It's billed as a romance novel, which I think is kind of unfair, but it is so much more than a romance novel. So. Jane is born and quickly orphaned. Her parents die, and she is sent to live with her very mean aunt and her aunt's children. And it is not even like... It's like a Cinderella story. It's not even like her mom's sister. It's like her mom's brother's wife, right? So it's like not even direct relation. Okay, so it's not like it's her mom's sister, No, it's like, it's by marriage. It's her aunt by marriage. Oh. And she is so cruel to Jane Eyre. And the children are cruel to Jane Eyre. Cinderella. Right, yeah. I mean, and they are, they lock her in a room that terrifies her. There's so many elements of like, hauntings in yeah. this in this um you're drawing book. me in already it's kind of like a ghost story like throughout there's so it. much like so many kind of like ethereal elements to it okay malevolent elements so she gets her um sent away to the school called lowood okay and i love this part and i didn't write it down but there's this part where they have the um headmaster of Lowood come to like examine Jane right and examine her and it's a Christian school and wait wait wait, wait. examine like not like a doctor examining no right? no like no, a, no no just oh basically, my god sorry like I read so much fucked up shit that in my head I'm like no. what do you mean <laughs> no like basically he was just like basically he was like so what do you why are you so disobedient like why does your aunt want to get rid of you are you just like a really bad child mm-hmm. and he's talking to her and he says like do you know what hell is? And she says, it's a pit of fire. And he says, and should you like to fall into this pit of fire? And she says, no. And he says, well, what can you do to avoid that? And she takes her time and she pauses. And I can't remember exactly what she says, but she said something like, I'll do my very best not to die. (laughs) That's perfect. Because she's like, I feel like I might go to hell. 
So I'm just going to do my very best right. not to die. It totally reinforced his notion that this is like a disobedient, like willful child. Yeah. Because that wasn't the answer Which nowadays it would just be like a normal kid. But I'm sure back then, like she was just being a normal child, not listening. Well, but for, then- the, for the time period, it was very like, it was such a staunch Christian society that yeah. to, to say something like that was almost sacrilegious, which you see elements of that throughout the book. And I love Charlotte Bronte because she wrote under um, a male pseudonym, yep. as did all of her sisters, because mm-hmm. they all published work. The author that I'm going to talk about also did for a time being. Yeah, so she published this under like a male pseudonym and actually said like, if I were to come out and write as myself, I don't think I could come out like with half as much truth as yeah. I'm able to right now. Sorry if you hear sirens. So... She knew that if she were to come out as a man during this time to publish this kind of like feminist novel, because to me it is it is an extremely feminist novel. Yeah, it wouldn't have gone over well. Well, that's amazing to me because it's like maybe she felt like she could be truer to herself if people weren't going to judge her. Oh, absolutely, as who she is absolutely because you you see it through a different lens whenever. Well, people saw it through a different lens when they thought a man had written it. Yeah, um, it, it seemed less disobedient. Yeah. You know? Um, so Jane goes off to Lowood. She is punished pretty much immediately and is made, there's one very famous scene where she's made to, uh, or passage in the book where she's made to stand on a chair all day. And the same guy who came and questioned her about hell is like, no one befriend Jane Eyre. Like, don't extend her your kindness or your friendship. Basi- or what? Basically, well, they would all be punished too. Like, basically saying like, if we need to teach her what hell would actually like be like, what so the fuck? yeah, horrible, horrifying. They're beating the shit out of these poor girls day in, day out. It's awful. So, but she does make a friend. She makes a friend named Helen. Good. And she's Helen teaches her like so much kindness, and because Jane Eyre is just basically like because she saw Helen getting like whipped with a oh, cane, God. and Helen's like I I offer my forgiveness to that person, and Jane Eyre's like I would have punched her in the face, you know, yeah. basically. So. She makes a friend who teaches her kind of like like kindness and and all of that and stuff forgiveness and, and forgiveness and yeah and then Helen dies no with, but of course she does with Jane Eyre in the bed with her like oh. dies and she wakes up in the morning and why does Helen she die how does she die she had typhus I think oh no like a lot of the girls in this school died from typhus oh man leave the school yeah well she does okay so she grows up she's eighteen now and she's like she's been teaching the girls at Lowood for a while and she's like. All right, going to go off and have... She, wait, she's teaching now? Well, kind of just like mentoring, I guess. Got like it. the other okay. girls who are the younger girls at Lowood. And so she's like, all right, I'm going to go set off and be a governess somewhere. I need to get out of Lowood, establish my life. Yeah. And a governess isn't like, I'm going to marry somebody. No, no, no. It's like a, it's almost like a, like a teacher. Like a nanny teacher. Okay. In one. Got it. But at the time, it was barely a step above a servant. You know right. what I mean? Like, you yeah. were it was essentially, like, you were in a weird cross phase between being, like, a lady and, and being a servant. And yeah. Charlotte Bronte herself was a governess for a period of time. Yeah. So she's drawing on that experience, I'm sure. So she gets to, can't remember what the place is called. Anyway, she gets to her station and she meets everyone. She meets her ward, who, you know, her student. And, you know, they hit it off. Things are going well. Things are great. The master of the house isn't there. And she's like, I don't know what's up. So eventually she runs into him. Like she's walking. 
She's walking to she's, go mail some letters. Yeah, she's just chilling. And she meets a man on the road, and she startles his horse, and the horse falls <gasps> down on his leg. Oh, no. And so that's how she, she meets met- Rochester, who is the master of the house, right? Rochester. And Rochester is kind of a dick, dude. Mm, like, he that is doesn't surprise me. kind of a dick. The ward that she, or the person that she is tutoring is his ward, and... What do you mean by his ward? Like... Like, he's not related? It's just like a... Well, it's very fuzzy. It's like, she's... In his care? In his care. Okay. Because her mom died, and they make note of, like, that she... That she... He would give gifts to his... To her her mom. To the ward's mom. And so it's kind of insinuated that maybe this is, like, his illegitimate child from France. Because the child is French. Got it. And so he's really, he's kind of a dick, but he's also, like, really kind of taken with Jane Eyre because she is very, like, cold and stoic and, like, sure of herself and smart. And he's kind of like, you're the only person that I can have a conversation with. That's the thing is, like, I feel like there's so many of these books where it's like, wow, this is the, she's the only woman who's ever stood up to me. Suddenly she's so attractive. Well, yes. And, like. Because she was so unlike the women of her time. So she's also like... Now this is reminding me of Beauty and the Beast. Yes. <laughs> Just but less, Disney, Disney relations here. But less charming than Belle. And less beautiful. Okay. So that's a big running theme throughout is that Jane Eyre is plain. Like okay. that is supposed to be driven home. Is that she's like plain, she's small, she's poor. She doesn't have any kind of like traditional heroine attributes. And actually, whenever Charlotte Bronte went to write Jane Eyre... Her sisters, Emily and Anne, who went on to write their own novels, they believed that women or heroines in novels needed to be beautiful, to be interesting. Right. So she was kind of showing, like, right. look, I can make this average, plain-looking woman be a heroine of my book. Right. And so she says, um, I will show you a heroine as plain and small as myself, who shall be as interesting as any of yours. Love it. Yeah. And she said, also she uh, told a friend of hers that she wanted to infuse into the souls of the persecuted a little of the quiet strength of pride. Love it. So she was just like, we're going to stand up for all of these because women at the time were only meant to right. be like beautiful. Well, and and this another thing is that if they're poor, you can still be prideful. You can still hold yourself to a standard. Yes. Just because you look a certain way or yes. have a certain amount of money doesn't mean that you have to treat yourself badly. Yes. And I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Okay. I'll give you every detail because I know we don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, so time goes on and weird shit is happening at this house, right? Like weird sounds are happening at night. At one point, Jane wakes up in the middle of the night because she thinks she hears someone laughing and she goes out and Rochester's bed is on fire. Oh my gosh. And she has to put it out. She has to wake him up. She's like, I don't know what's going on. He's in the bed? Yes. He's asleep. What the fuck? She wakes him up and she's like, your bed's on fire. And like, <laughs> they put it out and he's like, don't tell anybody about this, okay? What? And but still, there's still this kind of like weird sexual tension happening between the two of them. And granted, okay. she's like 18; she's got like no experience with men. Right. And um, then later on, there's like a guy who shows up, and Rochester's all weird about it. And then later on in the night, there's a scream, and she wakes up, and she's Wait, like, "What?" Same night. A different night. Got yeah. It. Not and the so, same night of the bed. Conference. No, a different night, and got she's it. like, "What the fuck is up with this?" So she goes in there and the guy has a bite mark on his back. Like it's like bloody. And again, is he a vampire? Rochester is like, hey, don't say anything about this. Rochester okay, bye. Is a vampire. Um and they get rid of him. <laughs> Everyone who's read this book and listening to me talk right now is like, you're stupid. <laughs> no, 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 because like I that's part of why I love this book is that it is part like it, it does feel like a little bit like a ghost story. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like it feels like 
there's, there's like something a very dark it. and mysterious happening in this I house. mean, that's what, if I didn't know anything, which I don't know anything about this book, and I'm reading it and I get to that part, I would be like, there's some supernatural shit going on right now. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And so right? it's very interesting for like a romantic novel of this time to have this kind of like strange element going right. on. So um, at this time, whenever the bite happens, he's trusting Jane with all of these secrets and all right. of this stuff. And she is growing like more attached to him he's growing pretty attached to her but she thinks that he's gonna take up with this like hot chick right and he's like he is flirting with her he invites her to stay with a group of people like at the house so she's like i think this guy's kind of hot he's kind of cool but like he's going after this lady so i'm not right and she's beautiful and got it and comes from a really good family and all of this stuff so jane's like all right cool like that's right that's, that's the situation so then Jane has to go away because her shitty aunt is dying. And she goes there and her aunt's like, hey, um, so I fucked you over when I sent you to Lowood School. Sorry about that, kind of, but I also still hate you. But also, <laughs> your uncle, you had an uncle that I never told you about. And oh, fun. he wrote me a couple of years ago and was like, I want to give Jane all my money and adopt her. Yes. And, I told, and I told him you died. So sorry about that. Oh, my God. Wait, yeah. So does she have all of Jane's money? No, she just told oh, the uncle, like... where did the money go? The uncle still has it. Oh, he's still he's alive. he's still alive. Got it. And okay. so she's like, she's like, sorry about that, but also I still fucking hate you, Jane. And Jane's like, I forgive you. I don't know why you hated oh, me so much. Helen really just like rubbed off on her. Yeah. How and beautiful. so she takes the letter and she leaves. She writes her uncle. She's like, I'm staying at Thorncliffe. That's what it's called. Thorncliffe. And she's like, that's where I'm at in case you, you want to, you know... Give me all your money. Come hang out or Got whatever. <laughs> Let's chill. We'll have some drinks. It's all good. Um, But okay, so she gets back. She to gets back. Thorncliffe. I think it's Thorncliffe. It's Thorn it something. sounds very Victorian. Thorncliffe Manor. It's definitely something like that. Yeah, okay. Um. So she gets back and she's like, and the, the housekeeper is like, so um, Rochester has been acting pretty weird he's in a really good mood he's been buying all this jewelry beauty and the beast i think he's getting ready to propose to other chick other chick to hot chick (laughs) so jane is like well that's a bummer and so she goes up to rochester and is basically like are you getting ready to get married and he's like "Mm mm-hmm and she's like um okay well then i guess i need to go find a new situation because you're gonna get married and i don't need to be here anymore then. i really just like want you to like play jane Eyre and just be her as plainly as you just were um then i'm getting out of here yeah like, you i need to find a new situation motherfucker because like fuck you yeah so she's like okay that's fine whatever i knew you were gonna marry her it's it's whatever. It's cool. I'm I'm gonna go away. And he like chases after her and he's like, You can't leave. And she's like, I'm gonna leave. Like, you can't like expect me to stay here and you're gonna marry someone else. Like I I can't be here. And this Well, why is, is that though? Because isn't she like taking care of the ward? Right, but I think that's also part of it, is like you only have a governess Because you don't have a wife? Right. Got it. So and she already knew that the And that would be weird if he had both a governess and a wife. Right. And got it. And she already knew that the wife as well wanted to send the kid away to school so she was like if you marry that girl she's gonna send her away to school and right, you won't, you need, won't me. need me so but he's like jk i'm marrying you well she well he chases after her and he's like well you have to stay and she's like i can't and he's like no like i i, I love your company you're my friend you have to stay and so this is the famous quote from from the book okay where she says do you think i'm an automaton 
a machine without feelings, and can bear to have my morsel of bread snatched from my lips and my drop of living water dashed from my cup? Do you think because I'm poor, obscure, plain, and little that I am soulless and heartless? You think wrong. I have as much soul as you and full as much heart. And if God had gifted me with some beauty and much wealth, I should have made it as hard for you to leave me as it is now for me to leave you. I am not talking to you now through the medium of custom conventionalities, nor even of mortal flesh. It is my spirit that addresses your spirit, just as if both had passed through the grave and we stood at God's feet, equal as we are. So she's like, we're equals. I'm going to talk to you as my equal. And if I was beautiful, you wouldn't think to leave me. Like, just because I'm, like, not beautiful. And then later, like, he's, like, trying to hold her to tell her, like, I want to marry you. And he says, Jane, be still. Don't struggle like a wild, frantic bird that is rendering its own plumage in desperation. And she says, I am no bird and no net ensnares me. I am a free human being with an independent will, which I now exert to leave you. Yeah, girl. So, but then he's like, no, I want to marry you. I don't want to marry that other bitch. And she's like, okay. So. Just kidding. I'm trying All to- that I just said, like, it's true, but like, let's just move forward. Yeah. She's like, okay, but you love me. So we're going to do this thing. So they move to get married, right? And he's acting real shady. He's like rushing to get her to the altar. Because <gasps> he's a vampire! They get to the altar and they're saying their vows. And yeah. then someone comes in and they're like, stop the wedding. <gasps> Rochester's married already. No. And he's, she's like, what the fuck? Rochester? And, yeah. And but all- that doesn't explain the bite mark and the... That on fire. Oh, it does. Oh, the, does the ex-wife or does the other wife like sneak in and like the, cause mayhem? The other, the other wife, wife. Wait, wait, wait. The other wife is being locked in the basement and is only allowed out at night and sets his bed on fire and bites the other dude. The other wife is in the attic. I was so close. Because she is quote unquote crazy. Right, okay. like she has a mental illness is basically the right. situation. But he's like bitch crazy. So she's, she's framed as a lunatic. And he's like, have you seen those asylums? Like I was so nice not to put her in an asylum. Like I just keep her locked in the <sighs> attic. And what's so wrong? Like nothing's changed between you and me. Like we're still good. Like girl, like come on, like still just be with me. Nothing's changed. I can't marry you, but like let's just be my mistress. Basically. Sir. <laughs> yeah, he's like. Wait, wait. So now he's like, no, we can't even get married. Well, sh- well, because it's illegal. Like it's bigamy. Right. That's and true. Now everyone knows that. But he's like, but nothing has to change between us. Like, we were already planning to go to France. Like, let's just go to France. And we'll take baby Adele, the girl. We'll take her and we'll go to France. And, like, we'll just... Leave the woman in the attic? Well, she had a nurse. But, yeah, like, leave her in the attic. Wait, so her and the nurse are in the attic? Yes, essentially. What the fuck? Yeah, the nurse looks after her up there. And Did yeah. she not hear footsteps? Like, she's not in the basement, she's up well, in the attic. they hear stuff all the time. That's why it's like, they thought it was like... But they, only, like, in the night, it seems. Yes, but, like, in the night, I think it's when the nurse is sleeping, where she's able to, like, get out or whatever. So and she fucking lights his bed on fire mm-hmm. and attacks mm-hmm. the other dude. And the other dude was her brother, who Shit. had, like, come to visit or whatever. Fuck that guy. Fuck, fuck you, Rochester. Honestly, it's really, sh- like, this is the part of the novel where I'm like, I understand that he's supposed to be our, like... Romantic lead. But this is real shady. Like, yeah. And I understand also, if you put it in the context of the time, that it would have been, like, yeah, you have this option, or you have put her in a lunatic asylum where shit was really, really bad. Right, but you he know? shouldn't have... I feel like there is a third option to not lock her in an attic, and to keep her at a, or at least not hide her. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a believer in honesty. Call me crazy. Yeah. Well. But like. So was Jane. Yeah. Jane was like, 
because you would have just told me. I've seen criticism about this novel as being unfeminist because they think that Jane should have prioritized her happiness and not put so much stock into like being married. But I'm like, because they see it as like her being like, I'm a good Christian girl and it's immoral for me to not be married. No, it's her showing her worth because she is standing up for herself and what she wants. Yes. that This is something in the book that I'm going to talk about too, mm-hmm. where there's this whole thing about being married or being a housewife as being unfeminist. And it's like, no, she knows what she wants and she knows her worth. She knows that she deserves right. to have all of this man or all of any man and get mm-hmm. married, not just to give part of herself to that person. Well, I mean, and regardless of any of that, it's also a couple of things in addition to that where it's like, She's sticking by her own morals and conscience conscience that she has created for herself. Yeah. And these are her morals and her guidelines. And she's saying, that's a hard no for me. And even though she loves him, like, that's the thing is like her, like her desire, her desire to be treated as an equal and to be treated like fairly and not, and not deceived. That is more important to her than But isn't that the most feminist thing of all? Because I'm curious because she, she didn't decide to marry him. If she was like, okay, we're going to get married. That to me would be unfeminist. I don't see where they're seeing this as being unfeminist. Well, yeah, because they, I mean, I don't know the thing. I read an article where like Jane Eyre is not feminist because she prioritized the Christian conventionality of patriarchal marriage. Like she didn't just say, I'll be your mistress. Right. Because like her happiness But he lied to her. And I think deceit is also something that she just couldn't abide. Of course not. She runs away and she becomes like a beggar for a while. Then she falls at the doorstep of this guy named, it's spelled St. John, but I think it's pronounced Sinjin. She falls on his doorstep. She lives there for a while. He takes care of her. During this period of time, she gets a letter that her uncle has passed away and she is now she's a, a very wealthy woman. Yes. And so she's hanging out with Sinjin for a while. She's like got a brother sister relationship with him and, and his sisters. And then at one point he's like, Hey, Hey girl, I'm going, he, he's a, he's a um, pastor. Okay. And he's like, Hey girl, I'm going away to be a missionary in India. And God told me that you're supposed to be a missionary's wife later oh. days and she's like um so wait wait if she's supposed to be a missionary's wife doesn't that mean that he wants to marry her yeah yeah so but basically he just dropped that shit and then was like talk to me later so then she <laughs> she shows up later Aaron, bye yeah she shows up later and is like i will go to india with you but only if i can go as a free woman i yeah. don't i don't want to marry you i don't i don't love you right. and he says well, then I'll make the decision for you. You've already agreed to go to India with me. So So that means that you're marrying me? So, yeah. So that's good enough and love will follow. And she's like, um, I don't think so. Hard no, sir. So he does the whole nice guy thing. Sinjin is the classic nice guy. I'm such a nice guy, though. I don't I I helped you. I don't understand. Why won't you fuck me? Why don't women like nice guys? Yeah, exactly. Nice guys finish class. Jane Eyre just wants to go back to Rochester or whatever. So. But why does she even want to go back to Rochester? I just Well, because she loves him. She does love him. But like, come on. So here's. Fall out of love. Give some time. Well, that's what Sinjin said. He's like, you need to put this shit in the past and we need to move forward and go to India. That doesn't mean that she should be with him either, though. But so then she hears her name on the wind. Jane. Jane. Jane on the wind. Jane. So she's like, Rochester is calling me. So she goes back to Thorncliffe and is like, Thorncliffe is burned down. <gasps> and she's like, what the hell? So <laughs> then she finds um, the housekeeper and the housekeeper is like, 
Yeah, so his wife got out while you were gone and burned the house and down. And he's dead. And... Is he and, dead? Hold on, I'm getting... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is better than reading the book. <laughs> and so she, like... um she burned the house down with everyone inside. And so Rochester wouldn't stop until everyone was out of the house. And he went back. Oh, he's such a good guy. He went back to get his wife. Like, and he tried to get her down. Like, because she was standing at the top. She got outside on the roof. Right. And he was trying to get her down from the roof. And she wouldn't come down. And she jumped from the top of the house. And he just stayed he stayed up there watching her and eventually I guess he got down. But so she goes to find him and he's blind and he's oh lost gosh. one hand in oh the fire. Dear. Yeah. But she's still like, I'm here for you. Hey. I'm here to be with you. I almost, just Rochester. Said something. I almost just said something so inappropriate. So <laughs> that is the entire story. Okay. Thank and, you. And, I understand how people can interpret her going back to Rochester and marrying Rochester as being unfeminist. But to me, what it says is it was an independent choice that she made. Yes. And she came Knowing back all the to facts. him. And also, he's the only man she's ever met who treated her like an equal. Right. As far as, like, talk to her like an equal. Right. And saw her as an equal from the beginning. So when she went back to him, when she had money and, you know, status and... They were now equally... Yeah, he like, had kind of fallen a little bit, yeah, too. Yeah, but on, like, a social plane, they were, like, yeah. equal. She still, she knew still that, like, this is a person who loves me for me and thinks of me as as his equal, like, from the start. Right. Um, no, I can see why people will be mad, because I think I would be mad while reading the book. But at the same time, I feel like it's not other people's decisions, what people do with their love lives. Yes. I mean, and it says, here, like I um, made a note here, it says, at every single turn, Jane stays true to herself to the point where readers even today think she's stubborn or difficult, when in fact it's the only way for her to maintain her respect in a sexist, classist society. Created at a time when women were always portrayed as following their hearts, Jane instead insisted on following her conscience as it was even more important to her. She is the classic independent woman yeah um she didn't let anybody else's influences make her decision for what she wanted right and people like to frame this as just a romance but there's a whole like hundred pages before she meets rochester yeah and like a whole hundred pages when she's with sinjin and his sisters yeah so it's not all with rochester it's not about the romance it's 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 simplifying it a lot right because she even says when she's with sinjin he puts her up he's like you can be a teacher to these like farmer's daughters basically yeah. and you can have this like poor little house if you want but I feel like that's not enough for you and he, and she's like it's enough for me like I just want to make my own way I want to have my own home I would rather have this than be underneath somebody else's thumb yeah you know what I mean she would rather be poor and live the way that she wants to live rather than um yeah, actually, here's a, here's a quote. I can live alone if self-respect and circumstances require me to do so. I need not sell my soul to buy bliss. I have an inward treasure born with me, which can keep me alive if all extraneous delight should be withheld or offered only at a price I cannot afford to give. I have an inward treasure born with me. Yeah. I need, I need to write that down. I know, it should be a tattoo. That. I know. That's such a beautiful... Yeah, and she's saying, like, I'm not... Because people will be like, well, why didn't you just stay with Rochester? Or why didn't you just marry Sinjin? Like, then you have security. Right. But it's like, it's because 
I'm not willing to give up my self-respect yeah. for anybody else. Exactly. Like, it's mine, and that's the most important thing to me, is, like, standing by my principles. Mm-hmm. And I think in this time, I mean, this book came out in 1847, mm-hmm. so it was a massively radical concept yes. that a woman could decide to do that and, like, yeah. didn't just live for security. Yes. You know? Um, I feel like our books are very similar. They are. They are. So... Um, that's Jane Eyre, and I know I kind of like rambled through it really fast. No, I loved it. I loved it. But if you've never read it, definitely read it. Get it on Audible. It's yeah. I couldn't even cover all the ways in which she is such an incredible feminist heroine. Um, but I hope that it got across a little bit. Yeah, the ways in which like I think the the thing about Jane Eyre is that she stood for although she was kind and giving. And cared about other people, she stood for herself first. You know what I mean? Definitely. And was just like, I won't, I will be unhappy even, but it means that like, it's not about my heart or my happiness. It's about my self-worth. Yeah. As a human being and being looked at as a human being. Yeah. You know? She didn't just immediately say, I'm going to marry Rochester. She kind of stood back, evaluated her feelings, her thoughts, what she wanted to do, and then took the appropriate steps that she felt to live the happiest life for herself. Yeah, I mean, and she was one of the first literary heroines. I mean, it's rare even today to find a um, cinematic heroine or a literary heroine that's not beautiful. Like, even when I um, I watched a few years ago, there was a new version of Jane Eyre that came out with yeah. Mia Wasikowski. I don't know. And um, <laughs> she was in, like, The Kids Are All Right. You would know her if you saw her Crimson Peak. I like The Kids she was, Are All Right. That's yeah, she was the daughter movie. in The Kids Are All Right. Oh, okay. Um, so Mia Wasikowski played Jane Eyre and then Michael Fassbender played Rochester. And the mm. whole time, though, this movie is trying to convince me that these are two plain looking people. And you're like, I don't think so. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no. So it's really even hard. There have been so many cinematic, uh, cinematic like recreations of Jane Eyre and they never get it right as far yeah. as it being just like a... Because Hollywood always has to make everybody pretty. And there's... Again, well, in novels, too. There is... Yeah. And there is a parallel to that with the story that I'm yeah. going to talk about as yeah. well. Yeah, so that is Jane Eyre. Check out Jane Eyre. Um, check out the Swallows Flight bookshop if you are in LA. Um, definitely give that a look-see. Yeah, I'm so excited. Your cat this entire time has been She's so the cutest. cute. She's cute. cuddling my iced coffee. Being so cute. I just posted a photo on Instagram, so but lightly. it'll be too late for you to see it once you hear this. Um, All right, who are, you, who are you doing this week? Well, can I get another drink first? Yes. So, okay. pause. Pause. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. We're two academic sisters. And we host a podcast called What's Her Name? What's Her Name podcast tells you the stories of fascinating women that you've never heard of. We're unearthing the histories of really interesting women that have slipped through the cracks of our collective history. We add era-appropriate music. We interview really fascinating experts Everyone from professors to authors to the manager of a brothel museum. <laughs> we cover it all. So give it a listen. What's her name? Podcast.com. Okay. Drinks have been re-poured. Matilda is yawning. So this week and weekend, I am talking about Little Women. Yay! Where are you going, Maddie? 
Like, specifically, are you talking about Joe? I am specifically talking about Joe. But as I was talking about Joe, the reason that I'm saying I'm talking about Little Women is because the more I researched Joe, the more I saw the feminist beauty in each of the girls. But I'm, I am specifically focusing on Joe because her relation to the author, Louisa May Alcott, uh-huh. and that it's, it's semi-autobiographical. So as was Jane Eyre, as was Jane Eyre, yeah. and so I, I like I'm saying, there's a lot of connections. I feel like between our books, Little Women was published in 1868. So okay, about 20 Jane years Eyre. later, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she did not originally want to write Little Women. She wrote very fantastical stories of they say somewhere in my notes, so I'm not going to look up where it's like she wrote about like robbers and pirates and crossdressers. I think that's really interesting because the I mean. And this is probably part of the problem, honestly, because like the only things by Louisa May Alcott I've ever read are Little Women and Little Men. That's it. Yeah. So basically, she had been writing for most of her life. So she'd always written these stories. I don't know if they were always published. I don't really know that much about her and her, you know, publishing history and everything like that. But that was originally kind of like what she was interested in. And a lot of this is going to be me going back and forth between Louisa May Alcott and Joe because they are very much alike. Intertwined. They are. And so just like Joe, Louisa wrote these stories that were fiction. And Joe also wrote all of these uh, fictitious stories. If you've seen, I watched the movie with Winona Ryder today. If you've seen that, you see, you know, she's got a mustache drawn on and a pirate's cap and Mm -hmm. she's, or like they all pretend to be men and all this stuff. So that's kind of like what she liked to write about. And then when she fell in love with the, spoiler alert, when she falls in love with the professor in the end, he's like, I want to hear about you. I want to hear your truth. Like she sends him a manuscript of her novel and he's like, I didn't see you in one word of this. And she's like, fuck you. I'm going back home because my sister is sick and blah, 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 blah. But I never want to talk to you again. You know, she's mad, which understandable. You know, like this person is knocking what you have put your life into, you know. And then she writes, you know, Joe writes Little Women and then it's the whole whatever. I can't remember if she writes Little Women in the book or if she just writes a story. I can't remember either because it's been a really long time. It's been a really long time for me, guys. I didn't actually, I'm going to have the abridged version of the book finished by the time I do the Swallows Flight live show. So I will correct myself then. Um, But I can't remember. I can't remember either. It's a long ass book. I feel like it was, um, I feel like. She maybe made, she just wrote a book. I think maybe she just wrote a book. In, because they never, she never says the words Little Women in the movie. It's just that on the title of the book, it says Little Women. Also, another quick relation to Louisa May Alcott and Joe is that they both use male pen names in the beginning. Right. Louisa May Alcott used A.M. Bernard in Little Women. Joe just uses Joseph, which makes sense. So before I go further into Joe, there is a... Uh, argument out there, much like Keegan's argument with Jane Eyre, as whether or not this is a feminist book, whether or not Joe is a feminist character. I did not even know this until I told Arielle, who I was planning on talking about for the pop-up, and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're doing Joe because people, like a lot of my friends have said that she isn't a feminist character. Why do people argue that? Okay, so here's the thing. Do-do-do-do-do. My notes. I wrote problems with little women, and I am going to argue every one of these points. Okay, great. So the reason that people see it as being unfeminist is that 
there are two parts to this story that we mm-hmm. need to remember. The book as it's published now is both parts together. The part okay. where they are adults is not in the original manuscript. Interesting. Really? The first half, yes, that is Good Wives. Oh, okay, okay. There are actually four books, technically. Yes, I knew there were Little Women, volumes. Little Women ends when um, Mr. Brooke proposes to Meg. Okay. Okay. So the entire book of so Little Women, when Joe, Joe goes is to- very against marriage. She and Lori are just friends. Um, she is very uh, tomboyish. Her, her young self. Very, you know, if you know the story of Little Women, you know what I'm talking about with the first half of the book, how she is. And then what happened was the she was working on like a second volume and all of these girls were writing to Alcott saying who do the girls marry who do the little women marry and Alcott says <laughs> I told you my You're notes good. are all no, over the place mine, mine are not organized either um. in fact okay I will offer this correction um, while you're looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> Since my notes were all over the place, too, it is Thornfield. I think I said Thorncliffe through that entire thing. Oh, you did, but it's totally fine. It's you weren't sure at first. Yes, Thornfield. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so this is the quote that Louisa May Alcott writes. She goes, Girls write to ask who the little women marry, as if that was the only aim for the end of a woman's life. I won't marry Joe to Lori to please anyone. So she, so people are like, she had this guy growing up who like understood her and they were best friends and this whole thing. And then he proposes to her and she's like, no, thank you. Well, yeah, it's a lot of similarities. To and Jane then, Eyre. yeah. And then she meets this professor who they even say in the book, much like Jane Eyre is not attractive. He's older, but he's very smart mm-hmm. and he challenges Joe where most people are like, he's mean to her because he doesn't like how she writes or he teases her or this and that and the other thing where I see it as he challenges her and isn't always agreeing with her and makes her think a little bit because she's always been like the alpha dog if you think about right. it. She's the loudest. She's quick to temper. Well, and it's the first time, maybe not the first time because her sisters admired her intelligence, but yeah. it is one of the first times, especially probably with a man, where she's been talked to as an equal. Well, yeah, and it's also just that like it's someone that's not in her family. Or that's right. known her her whole yeah, life. Yeah, and that's, respecting her for her opinion. And, and you know, you can well, say that she's being, like, he's being mean to her. But what it is is he's not treating her in the way that men of the time would conventionally treat a woman. Right. Well, and they say that there's a possibility that Bear, Professor Bear, is a inspiration from her father. Mm-hmm. Because in the book, Little Women, the father isn't really around much. Right. Um, so they're like, oh, well, that's not really autobiographical. But I guess her father was very strict, very stern. And so if anyone was going to be uh, similar to her father in these books, it would be the person that her character ends up marrying, which I think makes a lot of sense to add her father in that way. Bear, this is what I read. It says, Bear was there to subvert adolescent romantic ideals because he was older and seemingly unsuited for Joe. And um, it was also... I think probably in spite her fans a little bit like oh you want her to get married so much how do you like this guy well I mean and I also think there is something to be said about just because someone is nice does not mean you need and I I tell people this all the time when they're just like 
if you're with the wrong person, just because he's nice doesn't mean you need to stay with him. Just because he treats you nicely, that's not the bar for yeah. being married to them. Like, or just because, like, you get along. I right. mean, she even says, like, I watched the movie today. She's like, we would kill each other. We both have hot tempers. We're both this way. And he's like, no, I would change. I would do this and that. And she's like, no, I don't want you to change. And you can love somebody without without it needing to be. I think that there's this but idea. I, well, at that time, especially, it was like, oh, you love this person? I don't care if it's brotherly, you're getting married. Well, even nowadays, I feel like there's this idea that if you love somebody and you love spending time with them and they're the opposite sex, people do expect you to be together. They're like, yeah. I don't understand why you and so-and-so haven't just gotten together already. And it's like, because it's not all love is the same. That's not what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I agree. So... Because this is autobiographical, I'm going to go briefly why each of the main characters is feminist or why I feel they're feminist. Okay, bring it. And also who they are inspired by. So Joe's older sister, Meg, is based on her sister, Anna. And she is like the beauty and she's married in her real life, in Louisa's life. So Meg is very much based on, you know, she's she's pretty, she's a socialite, she's married, she already kind of like, in the beginning of the book, she's not married. But, but like, she's a very typical of the time, this is what your ideal woman yes. is kind of like. And the reason that I feel that Meg fits into feminism is because you can want to fall in love and still be a feminist. You can want a conventional way of life and still be a feminist if it is your choice. Uh, the other person, of course, is Joe. And uh, you can be a tomboy, chase your dreams, be a nonconformist, and be a feminist. And I think it's also important to note that that doesn't necessarily say anything about your sexuality either. No. Well, yeah, there's been a lot of questions about Joe's of sexuality. But I don't think there necessarily needs to be or has to be because your sexuality doesn't necessarily have anything to do with how you manifest as a person or what you're exactly. interested in. But there is a reason that people like to question her sexuality. And the reason for that is in another quote that I have to find in my notes. This is something that, this is a quote by Louisa May Alcott. It says, I am more than half persuaded that I am a man's soul put by some freak of nature into a woman's body because I have fallen in love with so many pretty girls and never once the least bit with a man. Louisa did have a brief romance with a man named Ladislaus. Hmm. who she called Laddie in her journal, which they believe was inspired, which inspired Lawrence. Um, but before she died, she like scratched it out in her journal and said, couldn't be. So Louisa May Alcott. This is Louisa May Alcott. Okay. I said that. Okay. So because Joe is autobiographical, they're thinking that, oh, well, she didn't want to get married and she's saying she's never fallen in love with a man, but she's fallen in love with pretty girls, that she must be a lesbian. I take that as much as we, kind of like how we were talking about Deborah Sampson, mm -hmm. where she wanted the freedoms of a man and that was why these tomboyish things kind of came out. And I believe that what she's saying is I have fallen in love with many pretty women and I, I don't, I personally don't necessarily, she could have been on somewhere on the Kinsey scale, most definitely, but this is in the 18th century. Right. So I feel at the time that she felt... 19th century. Sorry, 19th yeah, century. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. That she felt such a connection to her fellow sisters, which is the whole moral of Little Women. It's uh -huh. all about sisterhood. Uh, I think that she felt such an admiration for other women and saw their beauty more than maybe the average woman would. Uh, and that's why she says that. I really believe. I mean, she. I think it's just really difficult. It, but you it is, don't. But like, you don't want to peg a sexuality on somebody because that's no, not fair. But exactly. But you also don't want to necessarily do the opposite whenever you're talking about a time period when you're talking about the 19th century when being 
being anything other than a straight woman who was like a housewife or a was mother deeply frowned upon. was well, deeply frowned upon. Can you imagine if Joe was also written as a lesbian uh, on top of being a tomboy exactly. who liked to pretend to be a yeah. guy, who liked to whistle and sing, which were seen as manly things. Right. You know, so, like it's crazy. I'm not speculating as to Louise May Alcott's sexual... No, not at all. But I thought that it was important to mention because I think a lot of, of people like no, to yeah. dive into Joe's sexuality. Yeah, I think it is totally important to like make Agreed. note of for and sure. And some people say that she was really jealous of Meg and said that I would wear I, she says something like I would marry Meg to keep her in the family and she's not saying that because she wants to marry her no, sister she's not into incest not. guys no no but people but people will grasp at straws I think that that's so ridiculous it's it's saying that you love your sister and you don't want her to leave you is exactly. what that's saying it's like saying, could we just keep her in the family? She's not saying, I'm in love with my sister. And I well, I mean, and it also speaks to the ways in which, like, as soon as you were married as a woman in this time period, you were pulled away from your family. Yes. It's not like nowadays, I mean, you, you'd still see your family, but it's not like today where, like, you get together all the time or you can, you know, live. Marriage was still, in a sense, a way of ownership. You took the Absolutely. name, you took the family. In a literal, a woman, in a very literal sense it yes, was. Yes, if yeah. you were a woman, your rights in your within your marriage was not, um, they weren't there, you know. So moving on, the inspiration for Beth was based on her sister Lizzie, who died when she was 23. And I think that's kind of nice that her name was Beth and her sister's name is Lizzie. Because yeah, Elizabeth. Both Elizabeth. So a short little background on young Madigan, because we always want to hear about little Mads. I was obsessed with little women when I was younger. I wanted to be a writer like Joe, and I wanted to be like Beth in the way that she was just so likable and lovely. And I was like, I'm going to be an author. And fun fact, my name, Madigan Francis, my middle name, was given to me because my parents thought that it sounded like a good pen name. That's mm-hmm. what my dad said. He's like, she's going to be a writer and that's going to be her My mom name. thought that Keegan was a good like she was like, if you're ever a celebrity, Keegan's a good name. It is. It's crazy <laughs> how those things like happen with us. But that is... That's kind of why my name is what it is. And I rewrote Little Women and like illustrate it. Like I have like a very clear image of like my chicken scratch drawings and like, you know, stapled a bunch of pages together and like rewrote my own Little Women. I had a phase in my life where I was obsessed with this story. And I have like an old like classics book package, uh-huh. of, like, you know, Black Beauty, Little Women, a bunch of other things. But those are my two favorites, especially Little Women. I don't remember anything about Black Beauty anymore. But I had, I'm, I'm one for the dramatics, if you can't tell. No. So, really? Shocking. Oh my god. Yeah, so Beth and her death, spoiler alert, was like fascinating to me. And like, I, I was a really morbid child. Like, I don't remember if I ever told the story about when I did like my book report on, or not a book report, but I did like a report on pilgrims or we had to write our own pilgrim story. No, I don't story. think so. At the end, like the prologue of the book, I wrote, each of the characters' names and how each of them died, and they were all very tragic deaths. Well, you it's, know what? Here's the thing: they give us Oregon Trail, and they expect us not to. Well, and we everyone learned, died of dysentery. We learned very uh, <laughs> in depth about the pilgrims' lives during that time. I want to say that it was like I was in like second or third grade, barely able to like read and write. They were like, "Listen, this is what it was like." 
People died left and right. But they, I honestly don't remember them like teaching it that much because I don't think I wrote, I think I did write one of them dying of dysentery, but my main, my person. So they actually put us in pilgrim families in our classes and we had to like act it out. We had to live as those people. We wore the pilgrim clothes. The women learned how to cross stitch. The men learned how to build um, like footstools. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. But I still know how to cross stitch to this day. So that's cool. But I'd also like to know how to build a footstool. So... My character died because, you know, like the the cloth that goes over the wagon, the wagon. Yeah. Uh, it, she went to tighten it and it collapsed on her and it decapitated her. Oh, no. If I had written that today as a seven year old, a school psychologist would be called so fast. Nothing like, was done. Are you OK? Nothing was done. <laughs> Nothing was done. And I think my mom would have just been like, yep, that's Maddie. No, I um, think you have to let those things go in children because it's just part of it's true. trying to understand what life is like and trying to understand death and all yeah, of that stuff. And I was just very fascinated. And so, you know, I mean, I, unless it gets to a fucking like child of rage level or like, you know, the ring where they're drawing the circles over yeah, and over like, again, like <laughs> then you got to like, maybe you know, call someone at that pay point. Pay attention, you know, be wary, <laughs> you know? So that was my, that's like my big connection with it. Um, I kind of went through my, my like obsession with each of the characters except Meg. Meg never really meant anything to me. Um, but I even had like a liking for Amy at one point too. Um, and a lot of people don't like her. I think I just didn't like, I think I didn't like Amy. No, Amy's kind of a brat, but. I liked Meg because I wanted to be, I wanted to be, I liked Joe. So you wanted to be a mix between Joe and Beth. I think yeah. I wanted to be a mix between Joe and Meg. Like I wanted to have that like, I have always had this like pull between wanting that sophistication mm-hmm. and wanting that like wild streak. You see, know what I I've mean? I've always wanted, I think, people to see me as like as different. Like I think I've always kind of had that like within me because it is who I am. It's not like I'm putting on a, a well, show. Well I wanted or people front, to see me but as But I liked that Joe was very unhinged and it kind of taught me that like that unhinged feeling that I felt inside was like valid. That I, I, could- I wanted people to see me as different and smart, but I wanted them to see me as beautiful too. And yeah, like of Meg course. and Meg yeah. was like the one who was like beautiful yeah you know what I mean? see to me I feel like I latched on to Amy because she um you know she put the pin on her nose to make her nose pointed a certain way and to, oh, me, to yeah. me Amy was very vain you know Meg and Amy are very similar Joe and Beth are very similar yeah so true. Amy I see as, as even being a feminist character because you can wish to be a housewife and still be a feminist I agree they they all talk about what they want to be you know Beth just wants to stay home and take care of the house and she's very shy and that's what she wants and everyone loves her for it Joe wants to travel and be a writer and become famous and do something big and Meg um is all about living a high society life or being beautiful which is fine and she you know you can fall in love and want to be beautiful and still be a feminist and Amy wanted to get married yeah she's just like I want to get married one day I think it's all about taking a close look at your motivations I think doing Anything can be feminist because I think feminism is all about making your own choices and your own decisions and letting those things not be judged too harshly or dictate other things in your life. I think the only thing that I would say about any of that is like when we're talking about 19th century characters, making sure that they were looking at their motivations. Like, is it just because it's what you, is it what you wanted or is it because what was like expected of you? And I do think that with Amy, that's what she wanted. Like, right. it seemed like that's what she wanted. But they also had an amazing mother, Marmy, who was just, she was this woman that was frustrated with the way that girls were treated. 
very frustrated and wanted her girls to be a change in the world. She knew that, you know, kind of how when I talk to kids where I'm like, you're the ones that are going to make the biggest change. I'm going to do what I can, but I'm counting on you guys. Every generation needs to make this world better and better. And I think that's kind of how you set things up for the future. Like whenever I was doing research about Jane Eyre and this applies for little women as well. This is kind of like the spark of the feminist movement really is like females writing literature in this time in the 19th century, like mid 19th century Victorian era. Women writing literature was a way, especially under male pseudonyms, to like perpetuate that like feminist notion and kind of get in the ears of the next generation to be like – Hey, you guys, can have hey. something different. Like, you yeah. can make your own choices and have an independent, like, will. Well, and Louisa May Alcott was an abolitionist and feminist. Mm-hmm. And she she actually was also a part of a group of authors called The Gilded Age, which addressed women's issues in a modern and candid manner. So that is very much the way that she wrote her books. It was very candid. It was very truthful. And she was a part of a group of women who wrote stories much like that. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about Little Women as a whole, and then I will talk more about Joe. So these are some things that I noticed while watching the movie. Marmy says, Feminine weakness and fainting spells are the direct result of our confining young girls to the house, bent over their needlework and restrictive corsets. And so to me, that was like, my God, how beautiful, like she's freely saying these things. Um, And then... Also, when Amy gets struck by her teacher, she says she believes that hitting children teaches children to be violent. Then that's true, too. Which is, it is very true. Studies have proven that, that at this point. Exactly. But at that time, was that something It's that, completely radical. I exactly. mean, even my grandparents, my, I mean, my, my grandparents definitely hit us. Oh, my, I mean, Chris's parents have like spanked him like I don't think it was often but it was like that still to my me, like, grandpa my never laid or, a hand on me my grand my, my mom didn't either but like even when I was a child that was the thing that my grandpa did where he would threaten to take his belt off or like yeah. my grandma you when my when my dad was a kid used to walk around with a belt around her neck so yeah. that you knew like so n- that is a completely different like radical different notion tactic, yeah. at that time to say that that it would encourage violence in children because it does yeah Yep, exactly. And then Marmy also explains that men are not easily demeaned because they have rights. She says that she wishes that she could give everything to her girls, but that she knows that they will change the world, like I said. And so she talks about that the reason that women are, like their feelings get hurt so badly is because they don't have the same rights that men do. They feel like they're always being put down, so they feel things so much more heavily. I really yeah. I I think it's easy to kind of be like to brush things off. Yeah, when you know that that's kind of not typical of the way that you're living the rest of your life, and it's not going to be your identity. Where I feel like when something happens with women, especially in that time, they're not wearing the right gloves or the right shoes or the right dress, that becomes their identity. And she's saying, you know, men don't have to worry about being demeaned because all in all, they still have that privilege. Um, something that Meg does in the movie that I really liked is that she doesn't want to work silk because they use children for labor to make silk. Yeah. Which I was like, okay, Got some I inter- see you. intersectionality going on I there. see you. I see you. 
I want to talk a little bit about Laurie because I think Laurie is also a very important feminist character because he is a man and he is definitely a feminist. He lets the sisters be themselves when they are by themselves and he also keeps their secrets. He respects them. He mm-hmm. keeps their secrets. He, you know, treats them as equals but also treats them with respect. Right. And he apologizes to them when he feels that he's done wrong. Yeah. He supports them. He checks in on them. Like he really is a big Part of their and he's family. a man at this time who isn't embarrassed or doesn't feel demeaned by being Strong in the company of, of other women, yep. of, of women in general. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about why I love Joe. Um, one, my favorite part is when she cuts all her hair off. Yeah. Do you remember that part? Yeah. So her, her father gets sick and everyone's freaking out and everyone's trying to do their best to help their mother. And, you know, the mom wants to go visit and Joe leaves for a while. And when she comes back, she um, is she hands her mother twenty five dollars and they're like, oh, my gosh, how did you get this money? And she was like, don't worry about it. And then she pulls her hat off. and She's got really short hair. She cuts all of her hair off. And fucking Meg is like, you're only beauty. And I'm like, shut up, Meg. Uh that sounded like Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. Shut up, Meg. But yeah, I mean, it was the only trait that people admired, physical trait that people admired about Joe was her beautiful, like, dark hair. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because in the movie, Winona Ryder had her, like, girl-interrupted pixie cut mm-hmm. when yes. she did this movie. So she wore a wig the entire movie. And so I feel like there were, like, a lot of connections. I love Winona Ryder. Let me just say, like, she is my favorite. She, her name is named after Winona, Minnesota. Uh, I mean, come on. Um, so she, I bet she could relate a lot to that, to, like, the lack of importance in one's hair. Yeah, you know? I'm sure. So she donated her hair to get the money to have her mother be with her father, which is just amazing. And another very feminist thing for me that Joe does is that she does turn down the proposal from Lori, as we talked about. Um, it shows that, you know, she's not going to settle. She's not going to marry someone just because she has certain loving feelings for them, much like she said. So well, I'm not or, for security. I or think for security. Like, I he think was, he was very well off. And I think it's really important to drive home with both of these characters, with both Joe and with Jane Eyre, yeah. is that... Whenever you like, when we're talking about Jane Eyre in particular, but also Joe because she grew up in in a in a poorer household. Yeah, but Jane Eyre grew up destitute, so yeah. you would think at that point, whatever it takes to yeah. get yourself kind of out of that and into a well, secure position. Yeah, and that's where you start to question. You know, Amy always wanted to marry well off, and she said, you know, loving someone is a choice. You can choose who you love. It's not like and some people believe that for sure, and she definitely does. And so she and Lori end up together, which is still weird to me because in the first half of the movie is Kirsten Dunst and you see her as being like a little child, and then Christian Bale is like, I promise to kiss you before you die. Ooh. And then well, because she's like she's worried that she's gonna get the uh, Scarlet Fever that Beth has. So they like separate her and send her okay. to her aunt's house. Yeah. And she's like, what if I die without being kissed? So it's it's like a sweet thing okay. that he's saying. It's not creepy. But then like later on in life, like they run into each other in France or where fucking ever. And she, and he's like, he like lifts up her veil to try to kiss her. And she's like, what the fuck? No. And then eventually he still does. And then they get married and it's, she asks Joe, like, is it okay? And Joe's like, of course it's okay. And like, it's just, I don't know. There's something really weird about him marrying the youngest March sister because he looks the same in the movie and it's not Kirsten Dunst anymore. It's, it's somebody just else. the optics of it that like are weird to you. It's really weird. Well, and also because Amy is described through the entire book as being kind of the young and like kind young, of young spoiled. Kids grow up, girl. I know, but it's like, mm, 
and I guess Joe marries someone old too, so I can't, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, again, again, I mean, even if you talk about Jane Eyre, she's 18, dude. Yeah. She marries um, Rochester when she's 18, and he's, I, I the, the vibe I get is that he's like in his 30s. Right. So right. It's, it's just one of those things where the time period, it was normal yeah. for girls really young to marry older guys. Yeah. So the point that I'm trying to get across as to why Joe is a feminist is that if you look at the original story that Louisa May Alcott wanted to share, it was before she was married, before she chose a man, before men had anything really to do with her life besides Lori and her father, who she had a very brotherly love for and a fatherly love for. It was when Louisa May Alcott felt the pressure from her fans of her writing and from her publisher that she started to veer away from her original concept a little bit. In the beginning, she, you know, she enjoyed whistling, using slang, ruffling up her clothing, which was often seen as a very boyish thing to do Mm -hmm. at the time. And she even says, I wish I was born a boy many times. She loved to read more than anything. She was very smart. She wanted to go to college and she took pride in showing like manners that weren't very feminine and fashion that wasn't very feminine and, um, she was unlikely to succumb to the pressures of her gender. And then as she matured in the second half of Little Women, she grew acceptance of her gender. And I think that a lot of us do that. I think that that... uh, And not necessarily acceptance of our gender, but acceptance of like who... Well, yeah. Or just change, I guess. Not even just acceptance. Yes, I think it's twofold. I think in, in my own personal experience, and I think probably in the experience of a lot of other people, it is twofold. It's one changing as you get older you change as a person I am so different now from who I was whenever I was a teenager like so so different and then the other half of that when they say that quote-unquote like more accepting of your gender I think that that can be looked at as you sometimes there are things about your gender that you don't like and you might push against those really hard like you might excessively push against those and then you realize like that's not me either that's me feeling like I need to push against a societal norm well and I think that Joe very much wanted to push against the societal norms and sometimes you have to define who you are but that she you know at the in the end of the day was just kind of like but I'm happy with being a strong woman instead of saying I want to be I a boy. I need to be a boy. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I think I think it is twofold in that way. I don't well, think we need to frame it as like Exactly. Well, that's what was that's no, what not, was not you, not you. No, I know, I know. And um so but also at the time to become a true woman kind of meant that you lost your identity a little bit. Like you right. you succumbed to society's like get married, have kids, whatever. And also at the time being sexually attracted to a man meant that you would to, to be tied down. It wasn't right. just that like how it is now you can still be your own person. Or you could you, hook up with them and figure out what you like or anything no, like that. Like that wasn't an option. Can't do that shit. Um, this is another uh, Joe quote that I love from the book that says, I am happy as I am and love my liberty too well to be in a hurry to give it up for any mortal man. And she did it. She wasn't in a hurry. She wasn't, she didn't pressure herself. And she lived a very happy, fulfilling life. Now in Little Men and in Joe's Boys, you know, they say that she swerved a little bit. I haven't, you know, I think I read part of Little Men when I was little. I don't know much about it, but I do think she was heavily influenced by the people around her. Um, but you know what? Isn't that just people, though? Like, it is. That's just what people are like. You're yeah. not going to be, I think, having this unrealistic expectation, even from our literary characters or authors, but, that like they're always going to be 
on the straight and narrow right. is is not ex- like it's, but it's what not realistic. people didn't like was that the story was less about Joe. Joe is more like a bystander. It was more about the men. Oh, and little like, men. That's what well, I was well, reading. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's about the boys, it's right? Little men. And that and that it was more and like and that's the thing that I had such an issue with like the Guardian's article about why Little Women wasn't feminist is because that's a very narrow minded view of it to say. I agree. I agree. I felt the same way with the article I read about why Jane Eyre wasn't feminist. Because it just I was didn't just make like, any, it didn't resonate with me at all. No, me neither. Because if I think back on the women in my fictional fairy tale lives, Joe was one of those that when I think back on it, like really spurred like a feminist fire in mm-hmm. my belly. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Louisa May Alcott. I know we're getting a little long, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to dwell on it, but I wanted to, um, mention that she grew up with intellectuals such as Ralph Waldo Emerson. That mm-hmm. was a, a friend of her father's. She grew up as a transcendentalist, which Joe March also did. They believe in the inherent goodness of people and nature. She was raised very equal, um, to adults. Her parents believed that children and adults were the same. Although um, her father was very uh, strict and stern, he also, you know, talked to them like they were human beings, not like they were, you know, children. And I believe she had all sisters, too. She didn't have any brothers. So for ha- to have a father, you know, treat his daughters as equal is amazing. To it me. may have helped, actually, because yeah. like when you not to take us off track, but like when you look at um, Charlotte Bronte, I think had something like four sisters and a brother mm-hmm. and her brother was treated so differently. Yeah, that but that you know, made her because because right, her but did. it's because like her dad was like, "Oh, well I have a son, so I can put all my stuff into my son." If you yeah. have no sons and you're kind of like, "Well, I guess I need to treat my daughters like I would of my son because yeah. I don't have any." I think it had to do with their religion a lot too, but yeah, I wonder what would have happened if she did have a brother. Um some more like mirrors to the book. Joe has a rivalry with Amy, much like Louisa had a rivalry with her sister May. Although her sister May dies when she was fairly young and she had a I'm daughter. I'm sorry. Louisa May Alcott has a sister named May. That's what it says. No, but they did that there shit was, back wait, then. There was also, I have Abigail and then crossed out. So there's some that say Abigail and then some say that Abigail is her mother's name. I'm confused. So I just wrote May down because that's what most of the articles said. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. So... They had a rivalry, but May must have really had a fondness for Louisa because she named her daughter Louisa. Okay. So well, when that's how May, it is sometimes. Exactly. So when Louisa died, uh, she went with Louisa May Alcott, and Louisa May Alcott called her Lulu. Aw, cutesy. Call her Lulu. Um, Alcott died when she was fairly young. People tend to think that she had like an autoimmune disease. Her last words are famously, is it not meningitis? Oh, um, how old was she? I don't remember. <laughs> Charlotte Bronte died at 38. Let me see. Isn't that so sad? Like that she died, is very she died sad. at 38 from like tuberculosis and complications from child tuberculosis from pregnancy. was like the one big like Her brother died from tuberculosis and opium overdose. I'm like that is so sad. Fun life. Jesus, like everything she, is dark. She died when she was 55, so she was older. Okay, so but sad. still but she young. Was I mean, but still young. Yeah, like, she was older. Old. Um also Alcott never married. She was a spinster, a proud spinster. And that's how she wanted Joe to end up. But people were like, people aren't going to be interested if she's like, no one's going to want to read about a middle-aged spinster. She'd push against that, man. She, yeah. You know, she did what she could. Some people also believe that Little Women may have also been heavily inspired by Abigail Alcott. 
uh, her early life based on some of the journals that she had written. I'm assuming that maybe that she intertwined some of her own childhood stories. Yes, with her mother's stories, which I think is really cool. Let's see. Is there anything else that's fun? I always end these so, like, I'm like, how do I end this? I never know how to end them either. Uh Did I say anything that I wanted to say? Eh, I talk a little bit about Joe's Boys and Little Men, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, In the long run... To to conclude my thesis, um, <laughs> Joe March is a feminist because she is motherfuckers. Um, no, because she she is always unapologetically who she is, and I think that you know, watching the movie and reading the book, there's so much of her that um, inspires me still to this day and reminds me to always just be very okay with who I am. And she's very hot on herself. She says, you know, I'm. She says something like, I'm, I'm ugly and I always say the wrong thing and I'm awkward. And I think that's something that I've, those are three things that I've felt a lot of in my life. I never really felt pretty growing up as in the normal sense. And still to this day, you know, we talk about the Instagram models and things of like course, that. Of yeah. course, I am not the Kardashian Instagram model type person. Me neither, girl. We should form a club. Right? Everyone, you know, it's like... I know I'm not ugly. I know that I'm a beautiful girl. Like, not in a vain way. But I know that I am. But growing up, you don't always think that. I've always felt myself being very awkward because I am so clumsy. And I always know that I say, I talk too much and I say the wrong thing. So do I. Yeah. But I've also very much accepted that about myself. And I think that that's part of Joe's growing up too. As a child, she feels like, oh my God, why did I say that? I'm so awkward. I'm so ugly. I'm so horrible. And as she grows older, she starts to realize that those faults that she sees in herself are actually the reasons why she's great. And I think I've lived my life very similarly. I think it's interesting that both of our both of our girls, although they have some similarities in their trajectory, they are so different in their personhood. Mm-hmm. As far as like Jane Eyre is very like quiet and almost like stoic. Joe is the opposite. Joe's and, like, let me be loud and sing songs. Right. Yeah. But they're both equally they're both equally themselves yes. completely to the point where they're seen as where it's seen as a detriment. You yeah. know what I mean? Like neither one is seen as an ideal type, and that's well, kind and of that's a, the thing. You can't win. you can't win. Women yeah, can't exactly. Win. You it's can a, be quiet and think that that's the way you're supposed to act, and people are going to be hard on you. You can be loud and you know eccentric, and people are going to be hard. Yeah, on you. it's they a testament win. to how unless you are exactly what they want you to be, and you let go of all those other things that make you yourself, you will not you will not win their affection or their nope. love. You know what I mean? So it's you kind of like... You have to win your own affection Yes, and, love. and you have to decide for yourself what's important for you. And like in telling my story, I'm not saying like, put yourself in a position where you're homeless and you've run away and all, all because of your pride or your, your, you know, your morality or what have you. But like, figure out where your lines are for yourself. Right. It's the choices in your life right. that you make for yourself. And decide what's important to you. And yeah. and stick to those things. And don't let other people tell you, well, you should just settle for this because yeah. it's the easier way or it's right. what's expected of you. Or, do the harder thing. That's yeah. one of my favorite things do, to say. Do the, thing that, do the thing that is right for you, period. Yep. You know what I mean? That's what makes these ladies so fantastic and yep. wonderful. I can't wait to talk about them more on Saturday. I know. I need to make bullet notes of, of oh everything. Oh my God, I know. We just filled a good, 
good hour. Yeah. We have to cut this yeah. in half. Yeah. I think we can do it though. I think I know the route that I want to take. We now. can totally do it. And I apologize to you guys for like saying the wrong for all of you literary nerds who are listening who are like yelling at me for saying things wrong um, about the book. I didn't reference my notes hardly at all. She so. really didn't. <laughs> so, also, Keegan, do we not typically say that like we're gonna get things wrong? Yeah, absolutely. We're gonna I mean, get things wrong. Especially we're not since experts. this is a conversation. Like I say, I make notes, but I try not to have my face in them all the time because yeah. it's like, well, it doesn't sound like me too when I'm like, right. Reading. That's why I'm always like, this is what my notes said, guys. By the way, this yeah, is my yeah, words. exactly. So yeah, just so you guys know, as a as a um, disclaimer. It's it's not going to be perfect, but this these are just the conversations that we have as well, feminists. And, and to us, that that's the whole point. For me, when I first thought of the title and was thinking of the idea of the podcast, that was my goal, not to be right all the time. But I wanted to record these conversations that I have with Keegan and other women in my life because I felt like other people need to be in on the conversation as well to have a, a, a safe place to be. And also, we are not a podcast about one specific thing. We talk about different things every week. right? So we have a lot of information being jammed into our brains as quickly as possible so we do the best that we can I'm giving the disclaimer like after we've done it but no, we, we, I, do, I we know, do the best but we do the best that we can and we just hope that you guys enjoy yeah, it yeah and way. we we enjoy our conversations so we enjoy yeah. we hope that you enjoy listening to our conversations and you know if you have any fun facts yeah. about Little Women or Joe March or Jane Eyre or yeah. Charlotte Bronte please like Oh my God, this did totally revive my love of, of literature because I was a person who, when I finished reading Wuthering Heights, which was Emily Bronte's book, yeah. um, Charlotte Bronte's sister, I finished reading that book and fell asleep with it in bed with me and Aww. like kept it in bed with me when I would go to sleep because I was so sad that I was done reading it. Yeah. So that was where I had a love for literature that yeah. was that like intense and special. Yeah. So this has kind of revived that in me. And um, so if you have any like, like I want to hear your book suggestions. I want to yes. hear your take on whether or not you think that these characters are feminists and why not or yeah. why so. Also, um, if you have other feminist uh, characters in books, literary feminists that you love, we would love to hear about them. Uh, you, When we post this episode, we'll make an Instagram post. Feel free to leave it in the comments or direct message us. Our Instagram is angryneighborhoodfeminist. Send us an email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can send us your sister solidarity stories, your coming out stories, anything, whatever episode you're on and it's resonated with you, send us an email, send us a message. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at YAMF, Y-A-N-F podcast. I like how I just very like easily transitioned into like giving our spiel at the oh, end. Oh yeah, well, a habit. How, how beautiful. <laughs> Creatures of habit. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and then let's see, what else? Oh, we really hope to see you on Saturday. We've mentioned it a few times. Although this will be after Saturday. This, this will be after Saturday, out. but I know we're really hoping that we see some of you guys there. If not, we're gonna. I'm sure we're going to do more of these in the future. And if you liked our stickers, we've gotten some inquiries about the stickers. Um, we are giving them out on Saturday, but if you don't live in L.A. and you can't come get one, eventually, I don't know how, I can't give a date or a timeline, yeah, but eventually. We're figuring out a way to sell them. We will um, be getting more uh, merch items and setting up a, website and all of yeah. that stuff hopefully in the near-ish future yeah, so we will we definitely we keep you posted on that okay you guys thank you so much for listening to this episode we really really yes. hope that you enjoy it it's always a pleasure speaking with you guys i hope it was a pleasure listening to it and uh with that you know we encourage you to rage on bye bye guys 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.